Good morning. Today is the 12th day of Shvat, 5783, corresponding to Friday, February 3rd, 2023. And we are now on chapter 22. We are now just one chapter away from catching back up to our daily cycle. And chapter 22 is still a continuation on the topic of speech. Um, I actually want to start with the end of the chapter and then come back around to the beginning because something at the end of the chapter helped frame the last couple of discussions that we've had in that we missed a, a key component. So as we remember in chapter 20, we began the chapter looking at there are 248 positive commandments, 365 negative commandments that are encapsulated in the first two of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt, corresponds to all the positive commandments, and don't have any other gods before me, corresponds to the prohibit prohibitions, the 365 prohibitions. So, one of the points that we've been dealing with is... What does it mean not to have any other gods before me? This has been a sort of a subtle underpinning in the last couple chapters and continues in this chapter, but much more openly, much more overtly. And as such, when we are looking at this chapter and then keeping in mind what we have learned the last couple of days, that's, I think, a crucial point here is the reason we're getting into this discussion about the speech of God is so that he can frame for us a perspective on what does it mean to have avodah zarah, foreign worship, but specifically more than that, to have other gods before God. What does this even mean? So, um, first off, we have laid out overall in these last couple of chapters the idea that somehow the speech of God is completely unified with God and not separated from, right? We, a concept we can't fully grasp, but one that we have to explore because for us, again, when we speak, we put it out there and then it's out there. It's separated from us. It's no longer our words. We don't own them once they're out. As they're in our minds, they're ours. But once they leave the mouth, they no longer can be taken back. Whereas for God, because everything is is existence, even the spoken is really still part of existence. So, there is a problem though. We have a concept, and this concept is actually a very complicated concept. Um, the Torah speaks in the language of the human being. Right? The Torah speaks in the language of the human being. Um, this has a whole history of ideas that scholars have grappled with. Does it mean that it's a human-written document? That's not our notion. Does it mean that it is full of perspectives from its time period and not everything plays out today? Hmm. I don't know. But does it also mean, and that's where we're getting to here, does it mean that when we confront the text's description of God, on some level, perhaps, it is describing God? 
Now, he very quickly skirts that away and he says, no, it's our perspective playing a role. That's what it means that it says it employs human language. For us to understand how the world functions, we need to use our own words to describe what goes on, regardless of they are absolute accuracy. And so, speech here, if we go back to it now, he concedes that even the speech of God must contain separation. But how could it contain separation when it must also be unified? That's going to be the question. And the answer comes back to the single word that we touched on in the previous class, tzimtzum, a concealment. Once you start building in concealments, and a concealment on a concealment on a concealment, you can start to get the human perspective of if God speaks, then something must be separate from God. Um, or if you take... I'll give you an example. If you take something that is slightly opaque, and I mean the slightest opaqueness, then you take something else that's slightly opaque, and something else that's slightly opaque, and something else that's slightly opaque, and you start piling them on themselves, what happens? They actually become more and more opaque. They become more and more concealed, right? So the first one, you can kind of make your way through the second one a little bit less so, the third one, fourth one, fifth one. They become blurrier, blurrier, blurrier. Simsum in that concept is the, in that in that context is the same thing. The withdrawal of God becomes blurrier and blurrier and blurrier, to the point where, when we think about separation, we don't see otherwise. So for this chapter, with that long excursus um, at the beginning, this chapter deals with how it's possible for the klipot and the sidra to even exist. How does this dark side even exist, right? If everything's coming from God, and God is the ultimate of the other, right, of this not dark side, how could anything exist? So the answer, again, is simsum, right? Everything with con the contractions and the contractions and contractions. Um, come into allowing for these things to be perceived. Even if they're not real existences, which he'll argue again, there's the perceived existence. So for the Alter Rebbe, in essence, he's going to define lo yia elokim acherim, don't have other gods before me. He's focusing on that word acherim, and he's going to say like this. We've talked about contracting, God contracting God's self, and we've talked about God hiding God's face. So, what does it mean to have another God? How can this possibly be that you that there's room for the denial of God for other gods? How is this even possible? The answer is, we're still developing from God. We're still seeing the world from God, but it's not seeing God. It's seeing the back of God. The word achoraim, the hinder parts. Like, not really knowing it. It's It's the unknowable, it's the Lack of knowledge, it's the ignorant sight of God versus the face-to-face, -face, we can see God's sight. And that's what it means by other gods. It's not other gods, literally. It means you're seeing the backside of God. Um, now, what's interesting with this, he doesn't go into this here, but as an aside, when we get, a couple weeks from now, in the Torah reading, when we get to Kitisa, the, the, part, the Torah portion that deals with the golden calf, we're going to see this 
you can't see my face and live concept that God tells Moses, and that God passes by him and God and Moses only sees the back of God. So there's a few things you can extrapolate from there. I mean, lots of things, but for our contest, isn't it interesting that even Moses, the greatest of the great, can't really see God's face in its full essence because no human being can. So we must always see a concealment of God, which is defined by the non-face of God. And so what the Altar Rebbe is saying here is that there's there so many gradations of that, that the, the sitrachra, this other side, this evilness, this, this side of, let's say, denial of God, comes from an absolute place, a place of almost absolute concealment. There's never full concealment. can't be. The world wouldn't exist. But there's almost an absolute concealment. And so if that's the case, if this is all true, so then he goes on to say, oh, so what is this sitrachra? What, what are these klipot? What are these shells? What are these barriers? They are there to punish the wicked and to grant rich reward to the righteous who subdue the who subdue this. Or in other words, <coughs> they are put there on purpose as a trial. So let's talk a little theology for a moment in our modern guys. We don't like these things. We don't like hearing God put this there for us to, 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 to stumble. It's very, it's, it's not an easy thing to swallow. We have to stumble over the sufferings, over the negative, over the evilness, over the challenges, over genocide, over Holocaust. Right? Oh, it's there as a stumbling block. Oi. I, I don't even know how else to say it, but oi. But I think at the same time, <clears throat> if you will, the goal here is really perspective, right? It's all for the good, right? How many of us have heard that line? Or it, it too shall pass. Gamze ya'avor. Or gamzulatova, right? It's all for the good. What does this mean practically for us? It just it, It's trying to say that, like, when we face something that's a challenge, how do we see that challenge? How do we, how do we engage that challenge or not? Now, yes, there are extremes in that, but from a day-to-day -day standpoint, we're also struggling with that challenge. What does it mean? How do you know? Do we overcome it or do we fall from it? Or another metaphor, another great concept, and I know the Kedushat Levi quotes this a bunch from the Talmud. Um, Rabbi Levi of Verditch, of course, is a lot from the Talmud in his works. Uh, I think it's in the Tractate Sukkah. I remember correctly, um, at the times at the times of the Yimot Mashiach, the days of the Messiah, when uh, this the post messianic world, God is going to wipe out this evil inclination, and He's going to show it to the righteous and to the wicked, and they're both going to start crying. The righteous are going to cry because they're going to see that this evil inclination was like this huge mountain that they strive so hard and they were able to over, overcome. But it was like a task that was, that they they pushed and pushed to overcome throughout their lives. And the wicked are going to see it like a strand of hair and be lamenting over how easy it would have been for them to have overcome and not fallen. Um, I think that's an appropriate metaphor here too. Is that like it's put there on right? It, there's a purpose to it. For for those that succeed, success comes from the late the work and the labor. And for those who fail, they look and say, "Oh, it wouldn't have been so hard after all." How many times do we fall for that stumbling block? So, anyways, back to the primary point. This is a very good chapter for other thoughts, but right, other gods. So, what is this idolatry then? 
it's the no, it's the worship of the falsity, of the inability to see, of the belief that the world exists outside of God, or of looking at the speech, since we've been talking about speech, looking at the speech and saying, oh, it's separate from God. Um, and somehow the existences in the world are independent of God. That's, a, that's idol worship. Now, it's interesting. Um, there are many different interpretations of idol worship as well. Um, for the Alter Rebbe, there's twofold. There's this idea that there's an independent entity other than God. What is this independent entity? Well, it could be other gods, but what his message here is that it's the individual. Don't you presume that you're separate from God. You are part of this process. If you presume you're separate from God, right? So that's that's going to be false worship. Because that comes from a place of arrogance, right? The, the I. I am. It's all about me is the place of that arrogance. And God can't exist in that place of arrogance. Uh, it, um, and so for the Alter Rebbe, the, the, the goal of these last couple of chapters is saying, don't think that existence is separate. Everything encapsulates the godliness. And it's our mission to surrender ourselves to that concept that we are within this existence. For the good and the bad, we have to, we, we, we have to be very careful with that. And so, as we conclude this chapter, on speed, you know, um, dealing with all this notion of God's revelation through the wor through word, we come to understand how significant that is in terms of our entire milieu and understanding. Thought, not so much. The actions are us. It's this bridge point that requires us to really examine and figure out how to how to deal. And at some point, we're going to have to deal with the other part. I am the Lord your God, right? The, the, this more the more positive command. But for here. For us, this idolatry is the individual arrogance. My other point that I was going to make is, it actually jives very well, in my opinion, even with the Maimonidean approach to the development of idol worship, which you'll find in the first chapter of the laws of Avodat Kochafim, the worship of the stars and so on, um, in the Mishnah Torah, in his work of Jewish law, uh, in which he gives a history of the creation of the world through the... Um, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and describe specifically how did the people of the world stumble into idolatrous worship. And what they did was they saw the stars and the moon and the sun as independent entities, and they uh, as separate from God. They were the ministers of God, but they were separate from God. And they started to approach them, and eventually they forgot that there was the that which was overarching it, that God got lost in the shuffle. I think there's a certain similarity to it. Obviously, he's speak, you know the author is going into this discussion of the spirituality of the I versus the not I and the um, issue of our our I is a barrier to God, but oh, even over there, the barrier of creating these falsities through a misread of the world, not a crazy misread, by the way. If my own opinion, it's a different subject. Is that? It actually, there's a logic to the, the point of the, I think even Maimonides is saying, it, it, he's not actually, in my opinion, saying that it's illogical. He's saying that the logical inferences are very dangerous in that context. Um, nevertheless, the, the, the point being that that logical piece becomes this Elohim acherim, right? This, this inability to see what's really in front of us because we can get very easily blinded because we are so distant from God. 
All right. With that said, it's very interesting that we read this particular last piece on the Torah portion week of Bishalach, of Shabbat Shira, when God performs one of the grandest miracles, um, the splitting of the Red Sea, right? There's the Passover Haggadah points out um, in that wonderful numerology, right? So if there were 10 plagues in Egypt, how many things were miracles were done at the sea? It was so much greater and, grand and more grand. You talk about a revelation of God in the world, you have that, and then of course next week in Yitro with the, with the Ten Commandments themselves, we're in the midst of these Torah portions where we're seeing, if you will, God's control, and yet even the seeing, as we see right after the sea split, the people complain right away when there's something that goes wrong, we see how easy it is to, to not see what's right in front of us. Um, and I think it's important, right, every year we, we deal with these Torah portions to reinvigorate ourselves in that belief that we may not always see it, but it's there nevertheless. So with that, I want to conclude. Wish you all a wonderful Shabbat, and we will resume next week. Um, and I believe that we will be all caught up by the beginning of next week, and then we'll be able to take some of these pieces a little bit slower, a little bit more in-depth. Until then, have a wonderful Shabbat and a wonderful weekend.